Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Lisa Rains, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Hi, um, thank you for having me. Oh, I'm excited about this. I, I love what you're doing. I want to share with the world what you're doing. Uh, and I want to talk about it. Um, you are you are starting. I would venture to say the world's first architecture firm franchise. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, I've seen people attempt it in the past. I think those companies are no longer around. And so it's it's good to see what you're doing with Pride Road. Uh, and I'm looking forward to having a conversation and diving a little bit deeper into uh, into what you're doing and how you're doing it. Sound good? That sounds great. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I, I don't think I'm the first as you, as the first company to do it, um, but as you say, there aren't any. There doesn't seem to be anyone in the UK um, sort of thriving with it at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll talk about that. Let me introduce you so people know who you are. Uh, Lisa Rains is the founder of Pride Road, the architecture firm franchise, which grew out of Lisa's refusal to accept that there was only one way for a woman to have an architecture career and a family life. Lisa built her practice in the UK's domestic sector and then invested to turn her business into one that other ambitious architects wanting work-life balance could also buy into, a franchise. So I'm really excited about having this conversation and learning about um, the story of how Pride Road came about and how it works and how maybe our other architects in the UK and maybe even in the US might be able to to work with you at Pride Road, but before we jump into that conversation, I want to I want to learn more about you, Lisa. I want I want to hear your origin story. So go back as far as you want to go back. When did you discover your passion for architecture, uh, and maybe who or what inspired you to get started? Um, so when I was little, um, my granddad um, was a, a builder, and he used to take me around building sites. Um, in fact, he built his own home um, back in 1977 whilst, when I was five. <laughs> and it was in the Isle of Man and it was on the edge of a cliff. Wow, cool. Uh, and it was quite a sight. I mean, it wasn't literally on the edge of a cliff. It was, yeah. you know, um, but it had uh, some significant level changes. So, 
<laughs> so the front of it looked like a bungalow and then it dropped back to reveal a two-story, nearly three-story building at the back. Yeah. Um, and I remember him sort of having, uh, building a little model of it. Um, and so he I designed it and built it? He designed it and built it, yeah. Um, and I remember going on site and help, helping, in inverted commas, in air quotes, um, with some uh, uh, rebar scheme propping and stuff like and then I also remember him kind of like taking me to see diggers and crying (laughs) (laughs) just afraid yeah I think I do remember being a little bit afraid of diggers when I was a toddler um yeah so I guess I was kind of inducted into the whole world of building from from being very small um then my dad was running a builder's merchant um so it was kind of uh, around building materials um, growing up. Um, and then when it came to choosing a career, um, it was sort of, I was around sort of 16. And my dad sort of, we were heading into a recession. And sorry, I can just hear someone at the door. I think they've come in. Yeah, I think that's fine. <laughs> Sorry, I was saying to Mark before we're working from home, so yeah, a bit of family interruption and and dogs might be barking. And... It's the way life works and business it works is. these days. It is. It is. Yeah. So going back, um, I was sixteen, thinking about what to study, um, and architecture was an option and my my dad thought it was a good career in again in quotes for a lady <laughs> so he is was he concerned that the alternative was that was construction and he thought architecture um, was more appropriate uh i was actually considering accountancy okay <laughs> or actuary yeah or architecture but he, i think he was he had this romantic notion that architecture was a good career yeah uh, for a lady to have that kind of Do you like think he had that life. that thought throughout your life that that having like, been you know involved in construction and building materials and all of that sort of had had his own plans for you <laughs> i guess he did i guess he did but um i'm kind of the eldest of three kids um and my brother's got learning difficulties um so that's he's two years younger so I was kind of brought up in quite a traditional Jewish household and I was actually the first girl in our family to go to university so I think there was you know my parents probably looked at my kids and you know my my brother and went you know, he's not going to be the one having a profession. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it'll be the, so they pushed me very much into the kind of profession and and then architecture was uh, was a good way, a good way to go. But it, it's, it's not until you actually get to architecture school that you realise yes. whether you like it or not. You, can right, you learn what it really is all about. You yeah, have this absolutely. fantasy of what architecture is. Yeah, yeah. It's not until you get on those courses and realize what what's involved um, that you actually realize how um, complex it is. Was that a good thing for you or was that a surprise in a negative way where it's like, oh, this is harder than I thought it was going to be? Um, it was hard, but I think I really enjoyed all the challenges. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it is really like that Renaissance course where you learn a bit about everything. Right, right. You know, you kind of you have to know about history and theory and environmental and structural and economical and um... everything except business. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is Absolutely. a problem. That is the problem. Yes. Yes. So so, uh... so when you graduated uh, university, what did you do? Where did you go? Did you go to work for a firm? Yeah, yeah. So I worked for um, in Simpson, who's now Simpson Huff. So one of the kind of outstanding design-led Manchester practices. So one of, I'd, I'd say the UK's leading sort of architectural companies. Um, and that's really where I cut my teeth. 
Um, so they helped me through my part threes, so the professional qualifications. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that was kind of, uh, it was exciting, but exhausting. It really was that kind of long hours, yeah. quite misogynistic work culture at the time. Yeah. Um, and I think I burnt out during that time. So I was I was there for like 18 months and there was a lot of pressure to like who was the first one in in, in the morning, who was the last one mm-hmm. home at night, who was in at the weekend. It was yeah very competitive and not Not a good culture not a good culture at all um and so I kind of left there to go to New York (laughs) what did you do in New York um I worked for um a guy um who had a little studio who at the time was doing uh sort of high-end retail concessions in airports um and that was in New York City in New York City yeah yeah, okay. so actually, it was really exciting to be in New York City, but the work was incredibly dull, repetitive, sort of doing really the same thing. Repetitive, sorry, yeah. repetitive. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very commercial. Uh, we had a design guide that we had to follow. You know, I kind of did my drawings; they just got redlined and then redlined yep. and then redlined. Um, yeah, and I kind of uh, uh, lasted about four or five months <laughs> came back but, to the UK. But knowing what you've what you're doing today, yeah. was there things that you learned through that process that that insp- it maybe not inspired, but sort of informed some of the things that you've done later with with uh, Pride Road? Uh no. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a yeah, absolutely. I mean, if I think I've had quite a range of experiences. So after working for Simpsons, um, I came back and then over in the States, I came back. Um, I did some work at uh, Urban Splash, um, which had a kind of Northwest UK developer who, um, you know, were kind of doing things like in, um, when people were moving back into the city centre. Um, and converting kind of old warehouses into apartments they were kind of the the leading developers yeah. of that at the time I know you're talking like you know 25 years ago um and that was exciting that was really exciting we'd go into enormous kind of Yorkshire mill buildings to see what the potential was um you know we'd go down to Plymouth and look at kind of historic dockyards and do master planning um and you know i suppose there it that was all about uh conservation and kind of working yeah. with an existing sort of the complete opposite of what you were doing in new york city <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> right because yeah. new york city was very repetitive smaller yeah. commercial work now you're doing you know taking old building converting them reinventing them totally yeah. custom every single one of them yeah. very interesting the big the big change yeah but then you know kind of i learned about the value of every square inch right centimeter and it was all about maximizing space for commercial benefit yeah you know, so i think i learned a lot of between there and simpsons learned a lot of skills around um kind of uh functional functional design and just ergonomics and um which I think is absolutely that that's what I use. That is definitely what I use now. Yeah. To help. But what I do now is completely different. It's the other end of the scale. I work with individuals on their homes. Um, so instead of creating apartment buildings for a hundred people or a hundred families and who you'll never know, you know, I might work on a hundred projects, but with individuals each right. um, within that. Um, and so I'm using the same skills, but then there's the kind of human relationship within that. And that's what I love. Yeah. And so it's, talk about what you do, at, at not at the franchise side, but for your own practice. What what type of work do you do? And so you're so, doing re- residential work with homes and families. So it's yes. additions and alterations, or is it new homes? Just additions and alterations. Okay. Um, we've really niched down to 
renovations and that and that's it we don't we don't do new builds yeah or we don't do multiples we don't do hmos we don't do commercial we don't do high rises it is just alterations and extensions and so niching down to that level of focus where you you do residential work additions and alterations only um how intentional was that when and why did you choose to do that and not sort of do everything for everybody Uh, so um when i first set up on my own back in end of 2010 so having had this sort of chasing this career of design-led practices and potentially wanting to run my own you know climb up to director level or whatever and being kind of having the door slammed in my face um I I ended up having to being forced to set up on my own out of necessity because at the time it was post-financial crash I'd had my third child I was the breadwinner in my family um I had to get out there earning but 50% of all architects had lost their jobs yeah um, and so it was like right go out find work make it work um and to start off with I was like yeah I'll do anything you know I'll um and then you kind of try and work you try and do what you'd been doing so you know master planning and commercial right um and I'd started doing a little bit of working with homeowners you know because I then I've got oh you're an architect you can do my extension right um, and then I did a bit of soul searching, um, you know, what do I want to do? And that was, well, you know, I'd like to do social housing. I don't know if the terminology is the same in the States. What is, is social housing? So it's affordable housing. Okay. It's working for um, housing associations and councils and governments. Yeah. Um, you know, sort of trying to, and, and the idea was just trying to help right. people. But from the kind of government side, um, and I spent a long time trying to break into that market. I spent two years of chasing my tail trying to break in, and it was a closed. It was a closed shop mm-hmm. uh, for a one man band with no kind of financial background. Um, and once I'd start, even I'd started doing some larger scale work for um, NHS estates. So that's our National Health Service estates. And I started finding that their payment terms were ridiculous. It was 90-day payments. And so if you're doing a big project with a 90-day payment, you know, you've got cash flow issues. Right, right. Yeah. You're doing a whole lot of work and not getting paid for it for months. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, the one kind of working for a homeowner turned into two turned into three and then I started realizing that actually uh working with homeowners was more dependable in turn and more sustainable on um as a business than work you know working your butt off for a large project and getting badly paid for it yeah you have more Uh, control more control um if there's a bad debt you know it's a small amount rather you know it's a small part of your business rather than you know your main income um you can sort of put seven day payment terms um so you know you get paid better um the work is more predictable you're not having to you know, each time you approach a different project, you've got the same uh, reg- legislation and regulation, so the same codes and right. zones or whatever to deal with. You become much more effective, more efficient yes. with the work that you do because you become an expert at that that type of work. That's right. So even though you know there's always new codes, new legislation right. coming through, so you so you know we learn about them and and adapt, um, but you're not. You know, sort of having to if you if you're jumping from school work to university work to hospitals, you know, each time you hit a project, there's new codes. <laughs> right, right, and you need to know all of them if yeah. you're doing all that type of work. Yeah. Whereas with this, you know, it's just yep. one set one set of changes. You know, and there's a lot of um, I I thought I would get um, you know bored 
by doing one type or one style or one uh, typology, but you don't because each client's different, each project right. different, each council, geographical area, site is different. Um, and it's the joy in those little things that um, and, and helping people make um that make it worthwhile yeah it's it's the market that that i built my business with as well and so i recognize all of those things that you're talking about um and for very similar reasons i like having the control and being to be able to affect a family's life right that mm. every work that every job that we do as residential architects um have direct impact on the lives of the people that we work with uh, as most architects do, but we see it in very clear examples, right? And as our projects are finished, you can see see how we've affected those people. Um, mm -hmm. How long um, did you have your own firm working, doing your own thing before the idea of the franchise came around? What was the inspiration to go from just another successful architecture firm to helping other architects become more successful? Well, I think it was um, once I'd, so it was two years into the business when I was niching down into the residential. Um, and then I'd found this way of working, which involved doing this a hand-drawn concept design workshop. So a, a kind of big issue that I'd had was convincing clients to, you know, move forward with us um, without them committing a huge amount of money. So you're not going to do anything speculative. Or, um, and, you know, you get caught between not with overproducing um, or doing speculative work, whereas the uh, concept design workshop, it's um, we do a hand-drawn hand set of drawings in front of our clients within a half day or a full day and it's a paid piece of work so you know it's 450 pounds probably equivalent in dollars or a bit more um for a half day and 600 for a full day interesting so you go so they sign up you go to their house yes with your sketch pad and and, yes. and trace paper and your yeah. and your pens Yep. Go through a process of conversation and understanding of what they want to do. Yeah. And essentially do the the concept design right there in front of them. Yes, that's it. Interesting. Cuz I've yeah. always I've always looked at that first phase um and and the ability to sketch, right? To be yeah. to, to be able to sketch and and take ideas and put them on paper in front of clients is magical. Right. The yes. clients look at that and are amazed that you can do that. Yeah. We as architects take it for granted that we can take ideas from our head and draw them on a piece of paper. Um, for yeah. clients who don't, who can't do that or haven't seen people do that, we literally look like magicians. Um, <laughs> and so that's a very effective way to show your value very quickly right there in front of them. Mm -hmm. it's a great Absolutely. idea. So we start with a free initial one hour initial consultation, which we'll do online to start off with, where we'll talk through the process and then give the client the range of fees um, for kind of going forward. Um, but, you know, before they commit to the, you know, the the yeah. uh, the full works and, you know, cadding up and gives them a, a low friction, almost fun process to go yeah. through and, and yeah. pay you. Yeah. Um, to 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 get them excited to go to the next step. Exactly. And you so doing that process, you um, you solidify the client's brief. Um, you can um, we do an optioneering. We help them to do an optioneering exercise. So we might give them, uh, you know, sort of three options for a ground floor and three options for a, a first floor. So it might be, you know, option one um, and, and then and then off on the back of those, they can we ask them to do three things with them. We ask them to speak to builders, um, con contractors to get an idea yeah. of cost, speak to estate agents. Um, is that realtors? Yes, to, realtors. Uh, yeah. To get an idea of value and speak to neighbours 
to see if there's any showstoppers because quite often in this country um, our houses are attached to one another either in a terrace or a semi-detached house yeah they're not on plots with land around right so you want to make sure that your neighbors are on board with your your idea yes yes because otherwise it gets really expensive yeah yeah (laughs) and very time consuming um and then we get the clients to feed back that information to us so we let the clients do that they do their own finding and if they decide they want a three-story tower on the back that's going to cost them two hundred thousand pounds or two hundred thousand dollars and it's um you know it's only going to add on fifty thousand pounds worth of value right right they've done their own calculation to determine whether they want to go forward or not yeah and and they're the ones that work it out not us right right then they're committed so they do that so by um giving the clients the drawing so they can see your value they can see they that you can draw and right you work through all the ideas as well so we rarely change layouts at a later stage so there's you know it we don't there's we don't often get you know people on clients on site going oh i didn't realize this room was going to be right You've, you've done you've done the work up front yeah, they, they can process it really well. Um, so there's less changes later on. Um, they are, they pay you. So you set up the payment technique. So, you know, we set up, um, you set up as a payee on your on their bank feed. So it's easy for them to pay. Yeah. Uh, constant, you know, sort of like on, on later projects or, you know, right, later right. stages. You, you train them to pay you. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, and also, you've got a set of drawings that are good to brief the rest of your team. Yeah, yeah. Great great idea. So you developed that process for your firm? Yeah. Is that how, the, how that works? Yes. Let's take a quick break to say thank you to our sponsors for their support of this episode. Accurate data is crucial especially in today's business environment. Outdated and inaccurate data leads to turnarounds, delays, and rising costs. With supply chain and staffing issues, these costs and delays can multiply. That's why a resource like RCAT.com is so important. RCAT works with manufacturers to keep their data up to date and accurate and offers it to you easily accessible and free. Use RCAT's powerful search engine to find what you need fast and download it right there on their site without needing to pay for anything. It's free. So go try rcat.com today. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com. Please visit our sponsors today and thank them. Thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. And so once I've realized that um, for me, it's a numbers game, so I need to see a certain amount of clients before I get a conversion to workshops. So that's going to change depending on the economical climate at the right. moment. You know, it's there, there's a, the conversion rates are lower, higher, whatever, because it's, you know, it's a bit tough out there. Um, so, you know, once I've seen, say, 15 um, clients at a prospect stage, uh, the free initial consultation, I might get five that decide to sign up for workshops. And then I know that from those five workshops, I might get two and a half projects. Right, right. Um, and so you know your numbers. So you you're tracking make- You're tracking your success. So you're, you're building a metric that yes. you can follow. So a, yes. a key performance indicator, KPI. Yes. I know that if I do 15, I'm going to get five, which are going to result in two, because over time you've tracked how that how that works which yes. then now you, you said it's a numbers game so now you can say okay well i need two projects i know mm-hmm. i need to talk to 15 people mm-hmm. That's very right. interesting yeah so um so i knew once i'd kind of got that in and, and that i could see all of those people in you know a working day or i could do it around you know a calendar um you know whereas collecting kids or taking school holidays right more flexibility once you know that you can fit in those appointments into your diary 
I I knew that I'd got a solution um, for you know wor- working sort of female architects or or sort of parent architects or any architects that want a bit of flexibility or need right. that bit of flexibility. Which is everyone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Every every everyone wants control of their own lives and flexibility. Yeah. And yeah. and the model that you just described, um, especially having your own firm, you have the ability to design your own business and to yeah. and to create a system like that that allows you to do the other things that are important in your life. Yes, absolutely. And um now <clears throat> and then and then I've systemized everything. Right. So it's all documented and, and developed into processes. You have it, you have it in a in a manual. You have it in a Yes. Yeah, we've got an operations manual, but also we've got a very slick um uh CRM system that processes clients and you know, scheduling system. And is that something that you built custom for your firm or are you using a, a product for that? No, I'm just using Zoho. Zoho, okay. But it did take, you know, yeah. two, three years to to build it for us. Sure, sure. It still needs to be developed in con- into a concept yeah. that works. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And there's a there's a bit of extra code in there to make it look pretty. <laughs> so so where along the line did the um the idea to to work with other architects come in? So um I think back in 2012, um so I set up around 2010. In 2012, I was um, chair of Women in Property Northwest, and I could see um, we started looking at the the numbers of kind of women in the property industry, sort of going in to train, and then numbers just falling off. Right. Um, yes. With over uh, age, um, and I could I could see that there were kind of issues. Um, and also, I, I was on the RIBA Council, National Council, from 2015 to 2018. So at the time, it was something like 17.5% of the RIBA database were female, but it was 50-50 entry into architecture school. Right. You've got a massive discrepancy. Um, and and I'd I'd kind of found this business that that would work for, you know, f, you know, offer that flexible support. Um, and so you know, I thought I I just wanted to get it out there somehow. And I was reading business books. Uh, and I was re- reading Michael Gerber's E Myth Revisited. Sure. Yeah, one of my favorites. Yeah, and he talks about franchising. Yeah. So was that the inspiration? You you mm-hmm. built the systems, it, you had it all there, reading the book, and you're like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> this is, well, this no, is... What I thought was, if I set up my business as if I'm going to franchise it, got set it. up the systems, if I don't franchise it, I've got a really robust system. Right, which is the, that's the concept of the book, right? He's not really mm-hmm. proposing that you develop a franchise model. He's proposing... Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I'm saying is that is that the book I just for the for the listeners, the book is not necessarily, you know, saying that you should take your business and franchise it. It's saying build a business that can be franchised, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's, yeah. right? And so that's what you did. You built an architecture firm with the idea that it could be franchised. You built all the yeah. systems and the processes and the checklists and all the things that that you need in order to run and confirm uh, a successful business, and then realized that. Well, here it is. It's working. Why not franchise it? Is that what yeah. happened? Yeah, yeah. Well, I kind of thought, mm, you know, let let's go down the franchise route and see what yeah. happens. Um, and I looked into it and set it up to franchise. You know, it. It. I think the like one of the first things that I did was um, rebranded. So when I set up um, back in 2010, you know, I kind of practiced under the name uh, Reigns Architecture. Yeah. So that's my my name. Well, actually, it was my father's name because I was married at the time using a different name. Uh, but Reigns was always the name that I'd studied under and I'd worked under. So that's what people knew. Yeah. But I thought, you know, I, or I realized that if I was going to scale, then actually 
using a, my personal name wouldn't necessarily relate to anyone. Right. And so that's where we went through a marketing and, and branding exercise and came up with Pride Road. And when I say we, I went externally to a marketing company. Because mm-hmm. um, even though as architects, we think we can do everything. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes. <laughs> right. It's important to realize that we can signpost. Right. Right. And that actually, you know, if you need expert advice, you go to experts. So I went to marketing experts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a great name. It's a great brand. Um, h- how does the how does the model work today? Um, so we are um, we have um, a central office, which is essentially me up in uh, Manchester um supporting five franchisees around the UK so we split we, we span England at the moment so um there's two in the northwest there's one on the south coast there's one in London and there's one in near Birmingham um so it is really a good span um the uh, model is set up at the moment to be UK wide so we can very easily um, sort of go up to Scotland or Wales or Northern Ireland. Um, I've split the the uh, country into 155 territories. Okay. So a potential franchisee would buy a territory. At the moment, the RRP is about £10,000 to buy the license to trade as Pride Road in a certain territory. And they get access to... Um, about 70,000 owner-occupier households within that territory. Um, um, and so that's what works to produce those numbers um, right. that are sustainable and will provide an income. Um, so you would sign up for five years. Um, we'd have a franchise agreement. You would have an operations manual. Uh, you would... Uh, have sort of have bought the license to trade as Pride Road in say uh, Wiltshire or Southern Wiltshire or whatever we we decide the territory name is best calling itself. So they're all individual businesses running. All in, yes, yes. It. So it would be Mark LePage um, Limited trading as right. Pride Road Bath. Got it. Okay. There's your company with your own PI, your own yep. professional indemnity insurance, but you're trading as Pride Road uh, Bath. So, and um, we have a central website, Pride Road, with um, individual locations. So everyone benefits from a shared portfolio. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, so when you set up on, on your own, um, you know, and say you've been working in a commercial practice doing kind of cladding design or, you know, fenestration or whatever, you don't have a portfolio that necessarily relates to, you know, a residential homeowner. Um, so you can, you've got access to um, the shared portfolio um all the graphics we do professional photographs you know you can showcase the the concept design workshop um, do you do you do marketing beyond the website oh yes absolutely um so we do facebook um instagram uh some linkedin some twitter some tiktok <laughs> yeah for sure. Well, there are clients there. A lot of clients yeah. there. Yeah. Um, the whole world is on TikTok. Yeah. Yeah. Podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so when yeah. you do that, you're you're promoting Pride Road as a brand. Yes. And that benefits everybody. Yes. Yes. Um, one thing that I'm about to do, uh, we're about to launch a TV, national TV advertising campaign. That's exciting. That's really, it's really exciting. Yeah. Um, so uh, we're running it on Sky TV. It's called Sky TV Ad Smart. So one of the benefits of being a franchisee is access into like a, this joint kind of marketing pool and, yeah. and resources. You know, we can pool our money, our marketing budget 
and you know do something so much bigger so you can create a video for a tv commercial is there is there cost to the franchisees beyond the ten thousand pound initial payment Yes, there is. Um, there is £150 um, marketing uh, levy paid on a monthly basis and 10% of the turnover on a monthly Got basis. It. So £150 plus 10% of revenue. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's uh, yeah. Yeah, and you've got to work it out. You've got to work it out financially. You know, when you come... Well, as as you are onboarding, you know, we do uh, due diligence mm-hmm. and, um, you know, we ask our franchisees to prepare a business plan and yeah. look at those cash flows. So you're and, interviewing your franchisees as much as they're interviewing you. You want to make sure that the people who are uh, representing Pride Road are going to be successful architects and successful yes. business people. And so you're checking all that. Yes. Yes. As much as we can. Yeah. Yeah. So um, do you have plans to go outside of the UK? Um, Yeah, well, I'd love to. Um, The way that we'd look at it internationally is to partner up with a master franchisor to cover, um, so whether it's Australia or um, the US or a state in the US, um, you know, we'd be looking at um, a master franchisor. So who would then, right? you know, sort of offer... Someone the, who would take on your role in another location. Yeah. So yeah. then you can, so a hub, right? You you essentially are the hub at, in the UK and then you yeah. have franchisees. You would need another hub in Texas in order to cover Texas. Yeah, so. because your legislation's different to ours. Right, So right. I couldn't say, you know, here, this is our process. We do, you know, concept design workshops, we then do planning, we then do building, whereas you can't just take that because your your codes are and zoning right. are different. In fact, yours are different state to state. Right. So, um, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Um, I also noticed that all your franchisees are women. I'm assuming mm-hmm. that's intentional. Is that a requirement? No, no, it's not. It's not a, a requirement. Um, it's... Um, you know, the, the, we are family friendly, yeah. uh, we are flexible, um, which would work, you know, um, across genders. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so what does the future look like? And, and I, so I know that, you know, there's a possibility that you may expand beyond the UK, which we just talked about is what, what is, what do you sort of hope that the next three to five years looks like for Pride Road? I'm <clears throat> three to five years. I think um, uh, growing our franchise base in the UK, you know, I'd like to see um, sort of 10, 15, 20 franchisees in the next three to five years. My, maybe that's too optimistic, um, but certainly growth. Um, and, you know, I, maybe I'd be talking to you know, someone in the States. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, somebody listening right now might be interested in that. So yeah. if, if they are, how do they connect with you? If somebody's well, interested in, in doing something with you here oh, in the absolutely. United States? Well, if they were to come on the, um, have a look at the um, Pride Road franchise website, yeah. then my details are at the bottom. So they can. Okay, just great. It's prideroadfranchise.com co.uk is the franchise website yeah uh, we'll have a link to that on the show notes i also repeat i'll repeat it again at the end um lisa you have a great story and uh and very inspiring some great ideas as well so even right even if you're not going to franchise the, the things that you've done are things that every architect should be doing um and uh you know developing a system that works right uh that that potentially could be franchised that's the concept right um, and I highly recommend the E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. Every architect should read that book. Um, and if you're questioning, should you read the original or read the architect one? Read the original. Read the original mm-hmm. first. If yeah. you want to read the architect one, that's fine as well. Um, it, it, Norbert is a great writer and has great ideas. He's been on the show as well. Uh, but the original is the one that that 
that will inspire you, that will share the ideas of what Michael originally talked about. Um, and so read that book. Every architect should should read that book. Um, before we wrap things up, Lisa, what is your thought on what's one thing that a small firm architect uh, can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? Um, so I think it's just about niching down um, and just really kind of um, looking at what you either are good at or want to do. Um, so you may not be the best, um, you know, sort of elderly care uh, designer now, but you may want to be there. So that's yeah. something you want to aspire towards and then concentrate on it. Become an expert in that. You know, um, do your research, attend conferences, talk at conferences, and then, you know, you will attract clients to that. Yeah. Great so advice. I would say, yeah, I'd say niche. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Try not to be uh, a jack of all trades of master of none. Yeah. And that's hard for a lot of architects. Architects mm -hmm. want to help the world and they want to do all different things and have yeah. experience in, and explore all these different ways. But um, yeah. in order to be successful in business, yeah. you need to niche down. Um, well, I would say just watch the climate as well, the economic climate, mm -hmm. because, you know, a, a certain type of architectural work may boom in 2023, but in, you know, 2025, will all the funding be cut for it? Right, right. Yep. So, you know, you need you do need to have a look at the historic uh, historical patterns around it. Yeah. Look ahead, look behind and uh, mm -hmm. and and then niche down and and go for it. Become an expert. Great mm -hmm. advice. Uh, Lisa Rains is her name. The company is Pride Road, like a lion, Pride Road. Um, if you'd like to learn more about the franchise opportunity, the website is prideroadfranchise.co.uk. Uh, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. If you want to see the client-facing website, that's prideroad.co.uk. So Pride Road without the franchise, prideroad.co.uk. Lisa, thank you. Thank you for thank you for doing what you're doing. Um, it's it's inspiring to hear your story. To, it's in, it's motivational to hear the systems that you've built. Uh, architects all should be developing systems for their business to become more successful, but not only successful, but to be have that freedom and control that you'd like. Go yeah. ahead. Um, sorry, I completely forgot. Um, you can also listen to me on my podcast. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what's the What's the name of the podcast? There is the Pride Road Architects Podcast. All right. We'll have a link to that on the show notes as well. The Pride Road Architect Podcast. Um, excellent. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you for all you're doing. Um, and uh, I appreciate you for coming by here, sharing your story, talking about Pride Road and uh, inspiring us. Thanks for being here at Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review and share a link to this episode with a friend. I know I say this every episode, but I'd really love for you to send me some feedback, share a rating, write a review, however you want to do that. And please share a link to this episode with a friend. Just send it off in an email. Say, hey, take a listen to this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, because that is how Entree Architect has grown to serve thousands more architects just like you. I appreciate it. Share a rating, write a review, and share a link to this episode with a friend. Thank you to all our sponsors for this episode Links to all our sponsors and all the resources that we discussed today in this episode are available at the show notes for this episode and all the episodes can be found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast, entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. That's the media network that's dedicated to architects, engineers, and construction pros. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. If you like this podcast, if you like Entree Architect podcast, I think you'll love all the podcasts at Gable Media. Go check them out at gablemedia.com. My name is Mark Arlapage. Thank you for listening to this episode of Entree Architect podcast. I appreciate you. Love, learn, and share what you know.
I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my One that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is going to be a priority. When the job is done, we're going to actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.